Told you uh, last week for this month being Women's History Month, I wanted to preach a series out of Esther. Now, Esther is not the central theme of this sermon this morning. Uh, you'd say, well, this really doesn't have much to do with women's history, but uh, I, I just uh, feel like Esther is, you know, other than maybe a verse or two, Esther is, uh, is neglected in our pul uh, pulpits, and we do um, need to probe deeper into this great book. Uh, Esther chapter 7, Esther chapter 7, verse 6 says, And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman was afraid before the king and queen. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you today, Lord, for those that are in attendance. We thank you for just the opportunity to be here and study your word and to gather together to sing praises to you, Lord. We just ask that we would turn all things over to you. Help us as we expose, <coughs> excuse me, expose the wiles of the devil. Help, help us uh, to uh, uh, strengthen our faith, which is our shield against the fiery darts of the wicked one. Help us to see his tricks, see his lies, see his deception and see the one who defeated him. Lord, we ask if there's someone here who does not know Christ as their Savior. Help them to understand that they are on the wrong side of the fight. Let them trust in him this morning. Give me the words to say. Direct my mouth, direct my thoughts, direct my heart that you might be, uh, those, those thoughts and those words might be acceptable in your sight. All these things we ask in the name above every other name, Jesus Christ, that you might receive the glory. Amen. Amen. Preaching this morning on your adversary, the devil. Uh, as we spoke in typology last week and we talked about Esther, the intercessor, and we even talked about Esther also as a picture of the Lord's church, we have a very clear picture of also of the devil in this man Haman. This man Haman. Now, Haman was, as Esther says, is the enemy, the adversary and the enemy, which is a word. Matter of fact, devil, you may already know. Devil means adversary or means enemy. That's the literal definition of the word devil. Now, in case, in case you were wondering, this book makes it very clear that Haman is the enemy in this book. And just, uh, you know, reading the story, knowing what he did, uh, you see him as the enemy, but in chapter 3, verse 10, chapter 7, verse 4, chapter 7, verse 6, chapter 8, verse 1, Chapter 9, verse 10, and chapter 9, verse 24. I believe that's six times in the book of Esther. 
Haman as, is referred to as the enemy, as the devil, as the adversary of God and of God's people. Now let's look. Now, now, now if you, you read uh, in the book of Esther, obviously this, this man had a, a hatred for Mordecai. And just on the, the, the superficial level, you would say, well, you know, he hated Mordecai. If you recall from the story, um, the king had basically made Haman the second most powerful man in the kingdom. And he commanded all people to bow to Haman. And Mordecai refused to bow. In studying this subject, uh, someone broached the. Wouldn't it be easier? Wouldn't it be easier if Mordecai just, when he saw Haman coming, just to withdraw himself and just hide so he wouldn't have to bow? But he made a very public showing that he was not going to bow before Haman. Wouldn't it be easier for us just to keep our mouths shut? Wouldn't it be easier for us just to, to, to not stir up any strife? Wouldn't it be easier on us if we did not preach the gospel, if we did not speak out against sin, especially in this current day, in this time of darkness? As a matter of fact, they are censoring our very words now. Social media and, and other outlets are, are, are censoring. What we you, you can be incriminated for your stand for God. Wouldn't it be easier if Mordecai had done that? The enemy would have never been defeated. The conflict would have never stirred up. Mordecai was not afraid to stand for the people of God. Now let's look at the origins of the enemy. Now I said six times he is called the enemy in the book of Esther. But four times, including Esther 3, verse 1, Esther 3, verse 2, Esther 8, verse 3, and ask Esther 9, verse 24, it doesn't just call him Haman, it calls him Haman the Agagite. Now, if you're like me for years, you just read through that, you don't understand what that means, you just think, okay, he's, he's from Agag or something, he's, you know, and we just pass over it. We don't think much about it. But don't you think if, God, by his Holy Spirit, directed them four times in this book to mention that he was an Agagite. Maybe that has some importance. Maybe that has some understanding. Maybe it wasn't just that Mordecai didn't bow. Not only did he have a hatred for, for Mordecai, you might remember that he went to the king and by subterfuge got him to put into law that all the Jewish people would and could be put to death. 
He wanted the total destruction of God's people. Well, why is that? Genesis chapter 36, verse 12. We see who this man, where this man's origins came. He was from the people of Amalek. Amalek was Esau's grandson. You might remember Jacob and Esau. God had chosen Jacob, who later became Israel, and Esau was there, and there was a fight in the land. There was always a competition in the land between the people of Esau and the people of Israel. As a matter of fact, they were probably very pleased when Israel went down into to, uh, to Egypt and dwelt all those years, and they were quite unhappy when the children of Israel came back into Canaan. Why do we know that? Because once Israel left Egypt, and they went back into what we call the Promised Land, they crossed the Jordan and, and entered in, who was the first people, or who were the first people, if I could use uh, better English, who were the first people that attacked Israel? It's the Amalekites. The children of Amalek. And in this first war that Israel had to rage or wage, uh, in Exodus 17, you might recall the story, they were down in the valley. Joshua the general was down there uh, uh, fighting against the Amalekites as Moses stood above and as he was able to hold his staff up. Israel prevailed. And because of this war, because of this attack, God had condemned the people of Amalek, the Amalekites. So we get to 1 Samuel, verse 15. And Saul is king of Israel. Saul the Benjaminite is the king of Israel. And God delivers the Amalekites into his hand. And what did God tell Saul to do? Utterly destroy them. Utterly destroy the Amalekites. Saul goes in. He has them at his, at his mercy. And he looks around and he sees the spoil. And then we're supposed to destroy everything, by the way. He sees the spoil there of Amalek. So he decides he'll just destroy the stuff he doesn't want and he'll keep what he considered the, the, the good herds, the good oxen, the, the good things of, of Amalek, this wicked pagan country. And he was even going to spare Agag, that's where we get the Agatite, He's going to spare the king, Agag. And lo and behold, Samuel comes and he hears the bleeding of the sheep of Amalek. And he sees Agag, the king. And he questions Saul about it. And he says, you know, weren't you commanded? God had, had, had said 
destroy them, destroy it all. But see, like us many times, we want to destroy the things that we don't necessarily want. But we're willing to use the things of the world, the things of the wicked, if we feel like it's appealing to us. Years ago, I heard uh, Dr. Adrian Rogers preach on the book of Judges. And he talked about how, how God had, had told them to go in and destroy these, these different people there. And he said there were some that they destroyed and some that they enslaved and some that they made friends with. And he said that's, that's sort of the way it is with a lot of the sin of this nation. We're selective in what we destroy but there are some that we choose to enslave, some that we choose to use to our benefit. And he compared that, and we can see that in, in this very state right now. Um, we're willing to put up with the whiskey and bourbon. As a matter of fact, uh, just recently in the last, since I've been down here, uh, more and more counties are voting to become wet. Why is that? Because alcohol makes it a better place to live? No! It's for the revenue, for the money. As a matter of fact, I saw a story on the, on the news this morning where it was talking about the Jack Daniels distillery. And uh, did you see this? You're smiling. And it's saying that the, the, the property around is being destroyed. And perhaps people's health is being endangered by the fumes coming from this distillery. For years, the Kentucky Lottery has been used to fill the coffers of the state, to pay for programs. Now there's a, a, a push to legalize casino gambling and all sorts of gambling, bringing it into the land. And we're willing to take on, as a state, probably most of us here are not willing to take it on, but as a state, we're willing to take on the, the, those uh, problems, those issues, those things that would hurt us because we think well, there, there's a better benefit that it'll bring money in. And there's even some sins that we befriend. That we make a friend with. We, we saddle up with. See, we, we look at Mordecai, we look at the Jewish people, and we look at Haman, and we say, oh, here, they, they've become enemies. The enemy was the enemy before Mordecai was ever born. Any of these people that were living there in, in, in Persia, the, the Jewish people, the struggle went back many generations.
He's an eternal enemy. Enemy. I say eternal because he goes back so far, but he's really not eternal because his days are numbered. Esther is very clear who the enemy is. The Bible is very clear who the enemy is. Matter of fact, we think of the enemy as, as people who don't agree with us. We, we think of, uh, of the enemy as people that, that perhaps want to harm us, want to censor us, want to put us out of the... Uh, uh, they, they would end us if they could. But the enemy is the devil. People are just pawns of the devil. What are the ambitions of the enemy? Haman was a very ambitious man, wasn't he? He wanted, uh, he basically wanted one thing. He wanted it all. That's all he wanted. Now, as we look and we, we, we see early on in Esther how, how the king had raised, them up, raised him up and, and put him in the, the uh, prominence uh, and made him the second in command, but Haman, I'm sure, would have much rather, especially the way it ended, he would have much rather that he be the king. Let's go to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 14. Verse 12 says, How thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning! How thou art cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations! For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend unto heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Haman the enemy was much like our adversary, the devil, in the fact that he wanted to ascend up. He wanted a place of preeminence. He wanted a place of power. He wanted people to bow down and worship him. Early on, one of, one of, one of the sticking points was that Mordecai would not bow. prince of the power of the air, the, 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 the king of this world, Satan, wants everyone to bow. That, that, that's his desire. One day, one day he will sit in the temple of God. One day he will rule this world as the Antichrist. Isaiah said, oh, but you're going to be brought down to the pit. He wanted to ascend up. To have his throne as high as the most high, as, as high as God the Father. And Henry Morris, and I agree with this, made the statement he actually, I'm sure, wanted to be above God. He would have loved 
He would have loved for God himself to bow down before him. He said, you wanted to be above the stars of heaven, which are the angels. You want to be the foremost of all the angels. He said, you wanted to, to ascend and sit above the congregation, was it, of the north. I believe that means he wanted to be above all people. He wanted all prominence, all power. Esther chapter 3. After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadithia, the Agagite, and advanced him to sit in a seat above all princes that were with him. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed in reverence of Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai bowed not, nor did he give him reverence. That's all the devil wants. He just wants to, he wants it all. Verse 10 says the king took his, his, his ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm just going to skip that name if it comes up again. Uh, the Agagite, the Jew's enemy. Chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. The king's servant said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. And Haman came in. And the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth in honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king delight to do honor more than myself? And Haman answered the king, And the, the man whom the, the, the king delighteth to honor, let the royal apparel be brought, which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the, the crown royal which is set upon his head, and let his apparel and horse be delivered into the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man withal, whom the king delighteth to honor, and address him. I'm sorry, I, I've lost my place here. Um, <laughs> that they may array the man with all, with whom the king delighteth to honor, and bring him on horseback through the street of the city, and proclaim before him, thus shall it be done to him that the king delighteth to honor. So what had happened was, The king had realized that Mordecai had done him, a matter of fact, had saved his life. And he wanted to honor Mordecai. And he asked Haman, who, who do you think, what do you think we should do to someone the king wants to honor? Why? Haman's like, well, why, why would anybody want to honor any more than, than, than me? I mean, he's already put me in this position. He gave me his ring to, to uh, uh, um, that, that my will would be done. Who would 
The king wanted to honor him. So he's he saying, well, put him on your horse, put, on, put, the, put the king's clothes on him, let him ride on the king's horse, and, and uh, 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 wear his apparel and, and, and be paraded that the people would all look at him in honor. But the problem was he wasn't talking about Haman, he's talking about Mordecai. One of the devil's problems is God honors his son. It's Jesus that will wear the royal robes. It is Jesus that will ride upon the horse. Now Satan will ride upon a horse and deceive many. And they will think that he is the Messiah. But he wanted to put himself in that place, in that position. Only to find out that his enemy, his enemy was going to sit upon the throne, sit upon the horse, have the rule that he desired. His ambition was to ascend. His ambition was to annihilate. Esther 9, 24. Because Haman, the son of his father, the Agathite, the enemy of all the Jews, had devised against the Jews to destroy them and had cast her, that is, the lot, to consume them and to destroy them. Make no, don't be confused at all. The devil wants to lift himself up, but he wants to destroy the people of God. He has constantly been at war with the people of God. He wants to destroy our churches. No, we, we were talking before church about the, many of the Lord's churches are struggling right now. And the, de the devil thinks he's being successful. We'll even say, well, the, the, feels like the devil's being successful. But we know the end, don't we? We know the gates of hell shall not pre uh, prevail against his, his churches. We know that Israel itself will be redeemed through the time of the Great Tribulation. His desire, desire is to destroy the things of God, the people of God. You might feel like you don't have any enemies. The enemy of God is, matter of fact, matter of fact, if you're here today or if you're hearing this message, and even if you're not, it's still true, you have an enemy. If you are a child of God, Peter says your adversary, the devil, 
walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, if you were not a child of God, the scripture said you're an enemy of God. I would encourage you to come over to our side. You can't win. Just as Haman met his fate, just as the devil will meet his fate, you also will meet your fate. You might think it's a long time coming. It's closer than you think. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief cometh not but to seek and to, to, to steal, but to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Revelation chapter 12 talks about the war. And it pictures a dragon and it pictures a woman which is Israel. And now he has sought to destroy Israel. But God hid them away in the wilderness that they might be preserved. Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 7 talks about the time of Jacob's trouble that will come upon the Jews. The enemy is seeking whom he may devour. Don't think you're safe. Don't think you're safe. As a matter of fact, years ago, probably the worst sermon ever preached out of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, I preached as a young preacher trying to show how a lion devours its prey, how it seeks him out. It was poorly presented, but it's still true. Let's look at the operations of the enemy. Just identifying the enemy is one thing, but, but we need to know how he works. Whenever you have a game plan, why do you make a game plan? It, it, it's so that you will look and see how your adversary operates. That you might have a plan against it. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. One reason why the devil, one reason why the lion is so devastating, so dangerous, is not just because of his power, it's because he's subtle. The lion will crouch down in the bushes, crouch down in the weeds, make himself as small as possible so you don't see him coming. The devil works in small things. Esther chapter 3, verse 8, we read where... Haman went to the king and he said, you know, there's people out there. We talked about this last week. There's a people out there that, you know, they, uh, they won't follow you. They've got their own set of laws. They've got their own God. They, 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 they've got their own. And if you command them to do something prior to their own laws and their own God or, or, or opposed to, to their own laws and their own God, they won't follow you. 
But if you make this law where we can destroy them, we'll take all their goods, all their property, all they have, and we'll put them in your coffers. And the kingdom will be benefited. Now, the, 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 the devil, one of his greatest weapons is not telling the bold lie. It's telling the subtle lie. Having just enough truth in it to make it sound good. Having just enough proof, tr truth in it to make it sound appealing. And the devil will offer people things. And put things and thoughts in their head. He will dangle those 30 pieces of silver before you. Just as a lion studies his prey, he, he studies you. And finds out what you desire. He waits by the watering hole. Remember Genesis chapter 3? What, what did the devil do? He caused them to question God. Now it was true that if they ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, that they would become wise. He said, you'll, 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 you'll be like God in, in the aspect that you'll know good from evil. Didn't say you're going to lose your innocence. He said, you'll know good from evil. Cause them to question God. Cause them to question God's work. God causes them to question God's people and, and his church. People say all the all the all the church wants is your money. Yeah, we're raking it in, aren't we? He causes us to, to, to question God. He, he he causes us to or people, he causes them to or he offers them good. He said, he makes it sound like a good thing. In Matthew chapter 4, he made it sound like a good thing. He said, Jesus, if you'll kneel before me. He's still wanting people to kneel before him. Just as Haman wanted people to kneel. If I can get the Son of God to kneel before me. He said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Start out with something. I'll give you bread. Just say uh Make this, make this stone bread. By the way, the best way to counteract the wiles of the devil, and I know you've heard this before, probably every time Matthew 4 is preached, know the word of God. Know the word of God. The way you recognize a counterfeit is to know what the real thing is. He wants to infiltrate the kingdom of God. 
much of Peter's second epistle, much of um, pretty much most of the book of Jude talks about how these people have infiltrated the people of God for their own preeminence, for their own power that, that they might come in. The advice that, that Balaam gave the enemy of God was be their friends. Join up with them. Intermarry with them. And then they'll become weak. Haman had his time, didn't he? He got people to bow for a while. He got to wear the ring. He, he, he got to put into action some of his policies. But we see in chapter 7, verse 10, his time was short. We see the end of the enemy. So they hanged Haman on the gallows which he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath was pacified. What he didn't take into account as he was scheming, as he was planning, while he was doing all these things, while he thought he was going to be lifted up and he was going to rule, God also had a plan. God also knew what was going on. What did he do? He sent his chosen one. He sent his chosen one. Here was this little peasant Jewish girl, Esther. She was an orphan. She was being raised by her relative Mordecai. Would have probably lived in poverty, lived, lived, uh, um, without any notoriety. But God raised her up and put her in a position. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. There was a chosen one that came in and defeated the plan. Defeated the plan of the adversary. Defeated the plan of the wicked one. Mordecai said it, this, said it this way to her, Thou art come into the kingdom for such a time as this. We pointed out last week that she'd offered herself up. She was willing to die for her people. She intercessed for others. She stood in the place of the intercessor and defeated the wives of the enemy. Now the irony of his ultimate demise is we read it in, in chapter 7, verse 10. It was hanged on the same gallows which he had built for Mordecai. Isaiah said the devil will be brought down to hell. And we won't take the time. There, there's more in Isaiah chapter 14. It talks about the ultimate fate of the devil. But we will look at Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10.
And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Just as ironically as Haman died upon the, the gallows, the gibbet that he had meant for another, Satan himself will meet the fate that he desired for you. Without the intervention of God, that fate would have been yours and will still be yours if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior. As much as he wanted to ascend up, he's brought down to hell. He's defeated. So that's the end, right? That's the end. Now we get up and we sing and we go home, right? No! You'll notice that the end of Haman was in chapter 7. And then there's three more chapters after that. There is an afterlife. There is an epilogue to the enemy. Let's go to Esther. Chapter 9, verse 5. And the Jews smote all their enemies with the stroke of the sword and slaughter and destruction and did what they would unto those that hated them. There's an epilogue. You know when Satan is defeated? It's not in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. Yeah, he was cast into hell. He was defeated at Calvary. Christ crushed his head at Calvary. Jesus said, we've already won the victory. We've already overcome the world. Satan is already as good as dead. You can wound an animal and he's already as good as dead, but he will still fight. Agag was dead. Haman was dead. Satan is already defeated, but there's still a battle going on. There's still a battle going on. Back in the 1980s, You probably have to be my age or older to remember this. There was a little country called Grenada. A little peaceful country. Considered a safe country. And they were invaded. But there were Americans in that country. And Ronald Reagan sent in the U.S. military. And with a matter, in a matter of hours, the war in Grenada began and ended. But you know what? The military didn't just leave. Why was that? There were still skirmishes going on. The enemy did not 
necessarily realize they were defeated yet. And they still fought. I heard even uh, in the 1950s there were pockets of Japanese soldiers in the islands that didn't know they'd already lost the war. And they were still fighting. There are still battles going on right now. Satan's already defeated, but there is a battle for this country. There is a battle for your family. There is a battle for this church. There is a battle for defending the word of God. The good news is we've already won. We just need to hold out. We just need to continue on. We just need to continue to fight the good fight. Finish the course and keep the faith. Would you stand? There's a battle going on. You're on one side or the other. You, you, you might